good morning. I hope everyone had a wonderful Christmas and ate just a little bit too much and not like way too much. And um, pray you guys had an awesome time with family, friends, or whoever you got to be in the room with. Uh, we're going to continue this morning. We're actually going to wrap up the series we've been in entitled I Am. And if you turn with me either in a Bible or on your mobile device, if, if you've got a phone or some sort of device with you, to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, we're going to get there in a minute. And as we talk about I am, for those of you, maybe it's your first time with us, I am is a statement that when Jesus made it, and he made it seven times, when he makes this statement, he's actually looping back to the Old Testament. He's kind of time traveling back and saying, I am, when God said it about himself in the Old Testament, and he was making the proclamation of being the God of Israel and God of the universe, Jesus is saying, I'm that guy. I'm that God from the Old Testament. I'm that God who created the world. I'm that God who showed up in the burning bush. I'm that God who showed up for Job or spoke to, to David. In seven I am statements, Jesus is saying, I'm God. The statements that we've looked at are, I am the true vine, Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the resurrection, and the life. I am the door or the gate. Last week, Ryan talked about uh, Jesus' statement of, I am the bread of life. Christmas Eve, we looked at, I am the light of the world. Today, we're going to start by jumping right into our passage of John chapter 10 and verse 11, and we're going to look at this last I am statement. Jesus starts and he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Now, as we look at the statement that Jesus makes about being the good shepherd, there's a descriptive word that he uses on the front end, front end that I want to focus on first. And it's this idea of the word good. Now, John wrote his book in the Greek language, which was the language of the day then. And there are two words in Greek for good. The first word is the word agathos. And agathos simply describes the quality of a thing or the quality of work. So you may hire someone to come in and do a task on your home, maybe an electrician, a carpenter, a finished carpenter, a plumber, and they do the job and everything looks like it should and everything works as it should, and you would say, that's a good plumber, that's a good electrician, that's a good carpenter. They have good skill sets. You may go to a doctor, and the doctor is known worldwide for the skill they have in a specific area of surgery, and you say, that's a good doctor. But have you ever been in a room with a doctor, even though they may be amazing at their skill, you, feel, you don't even feel human when you're around them. 
they come in the room, they don't sit down, they stand there, and you say, you know, doc, I'm kind of nervous about this, I'm having this surgery, and the doctor's like, yeah, 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 whatever, listen, I'll take care of that, we're going to cut you open, we're going to sew you up, we're going to ship you out, I got another one coming in, right on your heels, and I got a golf game I got to make. They may be a good doctor skill-wise, but then there's another word for good, along with agathos, which is the quality of work, and it's the word kalos. And kalos talks to the skill, but it also talks to the heart. Kalos means that in, in goodness and in quality of winsomeness, kindness, and care, which makes someone's heart, in the description of this word, loving or lovely. So let's go back to this doctor. The doctor comes in, and instead of just saying, look, here's when the surgery is, here's when we're going to be done, here's when we're going to ship you out, they sit down with you and they say, here's what the surgery is. Here's what you need to be able to expect. Now, this part's going to be tough, but please know we've got people who are going to be right by your side. Are there any questions you have for me? Is there anything you're nervous about or maybe you're a little scared that, that I can be there? And as they ask you the questions, you realize they're not just here to do a job. They care about me. They're a good doctor. The second word, kalos, is the word that's used to describe Christ. It's a, it's a good that's not just good in past, but it's good in integrity, character, kindness, love, mercy. It's the blessing of having a good shepherd. Now, who do shepherds take care of? Sheep. Shepherds take care of sheep. So if we, if it's a good shepherd, who gets the blessing of the, the goodness? The sheep. Let's try that again. So if it's a good shepherd, who gets the blessing of the goodness? The sheep. If God is the good shepherd, who are his sheep? We are. Tell the person beside you, you're a sheep. You're a sheep. We are his sheep, and it's his goodness that we are blessed by. We get this wrong idea of the picture of what the good shepherd looks like. We picture him with a hammer in hand, ready to let us have it for anything. But what the Bible tells us in describing the good shepherd is he is good in character. He is good in truth. He is good in integrity. But he is good in compassion and kindness and loving and merciful. He is a good shepherd. This past summer, we did a series on the book of Psalms. And you guys remember summer? Sun was out like past 4 o'clock and it was warm out. Yeah. So we did this series on the book of Psalms and we took one whole Sunday talking about the 23rd Psalm. And we're not going to redo the message, but I want us to revisit the 23rd Psalm for just a minute. It'll be up on the screen. And I want us to look at David, who was the consummate shepherd, a good shepherd here on earth, talking about what it's like to be a sheep under the good shepherd. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my, uh, my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. If you'll remember when we talked about that cup over 
overflowing. It's a sign and a statement that the shepherd enjoys your presence. Surely, goodness and mercy and love will follow me all the days of my life. Another word that can be used there in this language is surely goodness and love will pursue you. God is not hiding. He's pursuing you. The good shepherd, his mercy and his love are pursuing you. And I will dwell in the house of the good shepherd forever. As we go through the Old Testament and we look at those descriptions of that good shepherd who cares for his people, Jesus is now saying, I am that good shepherd. I am that good shepherd. Now, with Jesus making this bold I am statement, I want to look at a few things, what that means for us today. The first one is this. This is the first blank on your outline. This is, for Christ, this is an assignment. This was his purpose in coming to earth. Verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. In other words, he's saying the hired hand doesn't care for the sheep. He's got no buy-in. He's got no skin in the game when it comes to the sheep. Jesus did not come to just check a box, do a job, and use it as a stepping stone. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and I'll lay my life down for the sheep. A real shepherd was born to his task. He was sent out with the flock as soon as he was old enough to go. The sheep became his friends and his companions, and it became second nature to think of them before he even thought of himself. The false shepherd came into the job, not as a calling, but as a means to make money. He was in it simply and solely for the pay he could get. He had no sense of the height and the responsibility of the task. He was purely a hireling. So what would usually happen is you would have a family who found themselves shorthanded and caring for their flock. They maybe were going somewhere on a trip and they'd say, we need someone to fill in. So they would hire someone, bring them in just for a moment. Just take care of things, make sure nothing messes up. But as soon as a lion attack or wolves or whatever would come, a hired hand would take off if they felt like they couldn't make it. They would leave the sheep completely to fend for themselves. They weren't bought in. So when I was in college, I paid my way through a lot of my school bill by waiter working at different restaurants. And... I enjoyed it. I, I, you know, I'd show up early. I'd do the job. I'd stay as long as I was needed. I got all my little stars on my apron showing that I was progressing, and I was a, a good worker. But I'll tell you this. I did not go to college for four years so I could waiter at Red Lobster for the rest of my life. I came in with a game plan to get out. My goal was to move on from that job. Now, my manager at that time, his name was Mike. Mike was all in. Mike was 100% Red Lobster. He was General Mills Food Incorporated. And Mike would come in going, what's the recipe for the shrimp scampi? And I'd be like, I have no idea, Mike. None. And guess what? If I've got an exam tomorrow or I need to memorize the recipe for the shrimp scampi, guess which one's going to win? How many shrimp are in the 21 shrimp dinner? That one I could get. But I was not a company man with this. I was not bought in. I had a game plan to get out. I was a hireling. I knew what I was in it for. I went, I did the job, I did it well, but it wasn't the end. Jesus was not just filling a role in the kingdom. He wasn't just coming to do it for a moment. 
Jesus' point is that the man who works only for the reward thinks only about money. The person who works for love thinks chiefly of the people that they're trying to serve. Jesus was the good shepherd who so loved his sheep that for their safety he would risk and even one day give up his life. As a side note to this, there's a very true correlation throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament, of shepherds in the comparison of those who hold a leadership responsibility within the local church. And for Spring Lake, that comes down to our pastors, our directors, and our elders. And we take the calling of what God has given us as a responsibility very seriously. Paul warns the elders in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20. He says, listen, in the church in Ephesus, there are wolves outside to get you. And he tells the leaders, you better be ready for the fight. Because hirelings are going to run away. And if they do, there's not one sheep that's going to be spared. These wolves don't care about the flock at all. The believers in that church community needed shepherds, needed people who would care for them. Hirelings run when attacks happen. Hirelings run when things get hard. You see, for a sheep, a natural sheep, there's a double danger. There's the danger of wolves and robbers and those from the outside who would attack to harm or kill or use for their advantage. The second danger is from the inside, and that is from shepherds who are false shepherds, who don't care about the sheep at all. And the worst thing is these sheep want to trust the shepherd. They need to be able to trust the shepherd. I would say the same thing is true in the local church. There's a double danger. There's a danger from attacks on the outside. And often there's suffering of tragedy on the inside from bad leadership, from the disaster of shepherds who see their calling as a career and not as a means of service. And I would say the same thing, that shepherd is more dangerous. Because you need to be able to trust leadership who is their heart behind it. I want you to know, as I mentioned, the staff here, we're not in this for hireling. We don't keep a resume in our back pocket looking for the next move. As a matter of fact, if you look at our, our pastors and directors, most of them have stayed well beyond, many of them double the amount of time, the national average for whoever their peer is in that role in other churches in the country. We're not hirelings. We're not here for the moment and looking to run at the next best thing that comes up. It's a calling not just a job. This church's first essential is leadership based on Jesus' vision. We follow his example as a leader. We're going to talk about this more in the next series. But right now, let's get back to the good shepherd. Why does the good shepherd care so much? This is the second blank on your outline. It's because he wants and he has a special relationship with us. He wants and he has a special relationship with us. Verse 14 says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. A shepherd's life was with and for the sheep. He knew his sheep. He knew their tendencies. He knew the sheep that tended to wander away. He knew the sheep that would bite at the heels of another sheep. He knew the ones that got along. He knew the ones that didn't. He knew the ones that were a little more sickly. 
and he knew the ones that were stronger leaders. He knew the ones that were pregnant, and he may need to take care of the new lambs. He knew the ones that needed ministering care into if they were going through the struggles or an illness or an infirmity. He knew the ones that would cause problems and may wander off and get lost in a river. How many of you know us sheep can cause some problems sometimes? He was the good shepherd, not a dutiful genie. He was the good shepherd. Remember in the 23rd Psalm, the rod and the staff. That's his protection and his correction. He's the good shepherd. He knew his sheep by name. Bill talked about this here. Adam talked about it in, uh, in Bellevue. But the sheep knew the shepherd's voice. The shepherd knows the sheep. If you had kids, you learned your kids cries. You know what each cry means. You know that cry that's just like, I'm just ticked off. You know the t- cry that's tired. You know the hungry cry. And you know the cry that's painful or is something that's seriously wrong. The same way with a shepherd with his sheep. He knows the sheep. And his sheep know him. So when Adam and Bill talked about the sheep knowing his voice, if there was a danger for the sheep, whether it be weather or whether it be an attack, robbers or some sort of other wildlife, Many shepherds, multiple shepherds, would pull their sheep into a sheep pen or into a cave. And the, she- the shepherds working together were better equipped to fight and protect the sheep. But when the danger was gone, they had to get their sheep out and leave the other sheep who belonged to other shepherds. So what would happen is a shepherd would either have a song or a sound or an instrument that they would play. And when the sheep heard it, the head would pop up and it would say, that's my shepherd. And the sheep would follow that shepherd out of the pen. Then the next shepherd would begin to play, and another set of heads would pop up and say, that's my shepherd. And they would follow it out. Jesus is saying here, listen, I know my sheep. My sheep know me. And my sheep know my voice. And even though every sheep knows that sound of a shepherd, knows how to respond, should respond to a calling, that doesn't mean all the sheep are identical. It doesn't mean we all look exactly the same. That's the third blank on the outline. Not all of Christ's sheep look exactly the same. Verse 16. It says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them along also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. They'll hear the call of the shepherd. And they'll respond. What needs to change will change. The things that they need to surrender, they'll say, I'm following my shepherd. One of the hardest things in the world to unlearn is exclusiveness. Sometimes we'll come into the church and we've got this idea or we've been raised in this thinking that I know this and I'm at this level and I understand and I can read and I've heard and we just kind of have an expectation that all of God's sheep should be on the same shelf we are. We can easily put a little gate around us and say no one comes in unless they look like, sound like, act like, and know the things that I know. But Jesus is saying, I've got some sheep that may not right now look like, act like, sound like, smell like, vote like you. But you've had some problems. If you don't keep all of our rules and commands, 
including some that had nothing to do with, with, with what Scripture had to say. If you don't worship exactly the way we do, if you don't dress the exact way we do, if you don't follow everything the way we do, we're not it. It's an exclusivity that we don't see in Jesus. Jesus is saying here, there's going to come a day, and that day is now, when I'm calling people who are my sheep, not just Jews, but Gentiles, and Greeks, and Germans, and Swiss, and Dutch, and Spanish, and even Italians. He's calling people. Come unto me, Scripture says he's calling us. Come to me. All you are, if you are weary and worn out and done and life has spit you out, he says, come to me and I will give you rest. He's still calling for the sheep. Jesus pulled the sheep together. Those who would follow him and know his voice. If you have watched humanity for any amount of time, you know that nature will always rise up against us. There's always a war going on somewhere. And with, within each nation, we will watch class rise up against class. Race rise up against race. And Jesus is saying, I'm calling my sheep from all of us. I'm calling people out from all of us. It's heartbreaking for Jesus to say, come to me. And an elite mindset to say, Christmas Eve that Mahatma Gandhi was leading the Beatitudes. He was a young man and as he read it, he was just fascinated with the teachings of the Beatitudes and the heart of Jesus. And he went to a church and when he went to go in they asked his last name. When they heard it, they said, you're of the wrong caste. You don't fit in with the Episcopalian church. He said, where do I go to learn? And they told him, for the churches in this part of town, you're the wrong sheep. He followed that up with the statement, I would be a Christian if it weren't for Christmas. My dad was on his second prison sentence. And at this time, he realized his life was falling apart quick. He had watched his best friends die from overdoses and, and gang fights. He had watched his cousin die from an overdose right there when it was happening. And he's sitting in prison and knows something's got to change. He went to his priest slash chaplain at this prison and as he's pouring his heart out, knowing something needs to change, the chaplain looks at my dad and says, Vince, for guys like you, there's no hope. Sorry, he can't call that name. You can't be one of his sheep. That chaplain had no idea how many generations of people he was helping. I don't care why someone may have thrown a date up in front of a church or relationship with someone who was shepherd was still calling. The only thing that's going to cross the barriers and wipe out the distinctions is the gospel of Jesus Christ telling people of the fatherhood of God. Of our heavenly father who loves them. The only possible unity for men is their common sonship with God through the good shepherd through Christ. Sons and daughters of the most high. The fact that there is one flock does not mean that there is only one church or that there can only be one method of worship or only one method of ecclesiastical administration. But it does mean that all these churches are to be united under the common loyalty and teaching of Christ. He is the good shepherd. 
William Barclay said, the saying of Jesus becomes very personal. For it's a dream which every one of us can help Jesus to realize. Men and women cannot hear without a, without a preacher. The other sheep cannot be gathered in unless someone goes out and brings them in. Here is set before us the tremendous missionary task of the church. If God calls you halfway around the world to go speak the truth of who he is, then go. But I'm going to tell you this, you don't need to. You can do it in your own neighborhood, on your own job, and in your own school, and maybe even in your own home. Who do you call? What do you can speak to? Who are those in Green Bay that you may not look up to or know or live a lifestyle like you or vote like you or talk like you? And yet those may be the very ones who may look too dirty to come into the season. Those may be the very ones that he's calling you to. And you're listening for his voice, but why are you deciding to ignore his voice? You may be in a place in life where you're like, I'm done. God can't be calling me. God can't love me. He's just good sometimes. He's calling you as a sheep. And just in case you think we're overstating the shepherd's care for his sheep and his desire for care for all sheep, remember this. This is the fourth blank on your outline. He willingly chose to sacrifice and be sacrificed for us. He willingly chose to sacrifice and be sacrificed for us. Verse 18. I'm referring to his own life. He says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to pick it back up again. Very few passages in the Bible give us such a great picture of the heart of Christ. I choose to lay my life down for the sheep. There's three truths that really jump out of the scripture. First of all, Jesus saw his whole life as an act of obedience to God. God had given him a task to do, and he was prepared to carry it out to the end, even when it meant his death. Sonship for him, and son and daughter of God for us. And it can't be based on anything else than Christ's obedience. It's what Jesus has done for us. Secondly, this verse tells us that Jesus always saw the cross and the glory together. He never doubted that he had to die, but he also never doubted that he would raise again. Jesus knew the cost was coming. He knew it was going to be bloody. He knew it was going to be violent. He knew it was going to be painful and gruesome and lonely. And at the same time, he knew that we bring us back. There was no other way was going to come the glory of God that was going to be seen in his resurrection, not just for him, but for us. The shepherd laid down his life for us to see. Anything worth something great has a great price tag. If it's cheap and you can get it easy, if it costs you nothing, it's probably not worth the time. There is no victory without a battle. There's no testimony without a test. There would be no resurrection unless there was a death. Jesus understood that. They went hand in hand. Thirdly, we cannot possibly mistake the fact that Jesus' death was entirely voluntary. He gave himself up 
We get this picture sometimes of Jesus being dragged in for his beating, dragged in for his crucifixion. He willingly chose to go there. Before his crucifixion, he's out praying one night. And he says, God, if it's your will, if there's any way possible, let this cup pass from me. Let this not happen. But, not my will, your will be done. I entirely, entirely, voluntarily give myself up for this. He did that for us out of love, and in doing so, he gave us the example of what sacrifice looks like. Can I ask you a question in closing? How are we doing on the sacrifice side of things? How are you doing on the sacrifice side of things? Jesus came as our example. If he came to show us what it looked like to be the servant, to be good, how are we doing in that area? If I were to record your home and the conversations, or better yet, if I were to just push play on your kids and have them tell me the feel of your home and how mom and dad react and talk to each other and love film, what would it look like? How are we doing as voluntarily servants? On your job, how are we doing as voluntarily living out the example of service? In our church, community. The example was set. Jesus said, I gave my life, chose to give it on the cross for you. Why? Because I'm the good shepherd. Would you bow your heads with me, please? You may be here this morning, and life has kicked you enough that you just can't believe this is the truth for Jesus, that there is a good shepherd who loves you and has said, I won't leave you or forsake you. I will not abandon you no matter what you go through. This is not a license to go do what you want and think he just is going to laugh it off, but it is clearly a statement from God to us. I love you. Put your name in there. I love you. Things have fallen apart. I feel hated. I feel abandoned. I feel my family is sick. Or my financial situation looks like God says, I love you. But I don't always feel them. Sometimes I feel I, there's a loss in it. I love you. If you've lived in a world where you feel like all you've known is correction and not as perfection, his goodness and his love wants you to know it's there. And he's not trying to hide it. Recognize his grace, his mercy. Cry to that. Maybe you haven't felt him pulling after service. We'll have some prayer partners available. You'll hear a bit more about that in a moment. But I would encourage you, just go and talk to someone. Maybe for some of you it's the point where it's time to begin the relationship with the Good Shepherd. Not just on Christmas and Easter, but in a relationship with the Good Shepherd. I want to be with Jesus. Lord, I thank you. I thank you so much that your entire life that you lived on this earth was devoted to fulfilling your Father's will on behalf of us. That we could be your sheep, that we could be 
your sons and daughters, not stepchildren, not distant relatives, personal sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. I pray this morning, Lord God, as we remember the truth of your word and your statement to us, that each day we don't just recognize the hardships and challenges which go with being on a, in a fallen world, on a fallen planet, but we remember the goodness, the grace, the mercy, and love of the good shepherd with us every step of the way. As the 23rd Psalm said, in the valley of the shadow of death or on the mountaintop, when you're forcing us into green and lush pastures or when you're setting a table in the presence of the enemy, you're with us.